0: Hi, I'm Deborah Fine. I'm so glad to be a guest on uh, Beat the Often Path. I, I beat that path and I went in lots of different directions, starting as an engineer, ultimately becoming a keynote speaker and best-selling author. And it's great to be on your program today, Ross, and every day.
1: Welcome back to the Beat the Off Path podcast. I am your host, Ross Palmer. On this show, we showcase unusual success stories to help us all think outside the box about our life and most importantly, our life's work. My guest today is Deborah Fine, and she's got a remarkable story. She's proof that necessity is the mother of invention. We talk about her journey from feeling very uncomfortable and awkward in social situations to building an impressive solo career as an author and keynote speaker, something almost unthinkable for an introvert. She turned her greatest weakness and fear into her greatest strength and asset, and that's why I love her story so much. She's now a multiple best-selling author, speaker, coach, trainer, and mentor to many other authors, my own father included. Her story is such a testament to the fact that with grit and determination, and sometimes our backs up against a wall, we can persevere and achieve remarkable things. So here's Debra Fine. Every day, yeah exactly that's it that's what we're doing it's from like now on out. it's a, it's a future a, podcast you heard it here first well thank you for joining me deborah i really <laughs> appreciate it it's so good to have you on this show you have done some uh, really incredible things and you have also benefited me and my family personally in uh-huh. a roundabout way which we'll get into and we'll talk about that path but in the beginning give us a little introduction like what's the arc of your career
0: the arc of my career was really that um i i festered with a need most of my, um, all of my childhood into young adulthood, literally into my 30s, where I just felt I was the outsider and all of you knew how to sort of mingle, be together, uh, interact, make friends, build relationships. I, I I, I, I became an engineer primarily because of those thoughts about the world. I was great at math, so that was perfect. I knew I would make a terrible teacher because I didn't know how to interact well with people, so the path I chose was engineering, and that just isolated me even more. So nonetheless, I would watch people like yourself, Ross, or all these people at functions and meetings. And if I got invited to a party and I actually went, which was a miracle in itself, I would just think, how are these people doing it? I know they're born with the gift of gab. I get it, I get it, I get it. But I was not born with it, so what are they doing? And, I mean, you're so analytical, Ross, that you'll understand this. Um, I just sort of analyzed it. I thought maybe I could replicate it for myself. But that was the goal for myself because I wanted to create friendship in my life and a sense of community in my life that I had never had. I mean, I was literally the girl that didn't get invited excuse me, get invited to the birthday parties. And and part of that was because of that awkwardness. And part of it, unfortunately, is that I was very obese. So the combination of those two things <laughs> was not a winner through middle school, high school, and college. You know, I didn't get asked out till, for a date till I got out of college. But it occurred to me, I lost a lot of weight. I hope that's obvious to you, at least. And um, <laughs> kept it off. <laughs> yes. Oprah and I did it the same year, but Oprah has had to do it again. But <laughs> kept, kept it I off. I love it and um, thought, well, that'll be the miracle. I mean, you lose all that weight and you're obese your whole life. You'll make friends and you'll have this life like you see on TV, but that's not what happened because it takes a few more skills than just losing weight to make friends. So that's when I really observed and I did a lot of work on myself and, and employed practices. And then I just had this epiphany Few years later, that maybe I wasn't the only one. I actually believed I was the only one standing over in the corner by myself. And and anybody who's listening right now, who's either introverted and or shy, two different things, will identify with what I'm about to say. Shy and introverted people tend to be the nicest people on the planet, the nicest. Until we get into interacting with other human beings, and then. The only person's comfort we're concerned with is our own mm. because we're just, we just feel like the spotlight's on us. Everyone knows we have no one to talk to. Or if you don't approach me to talk to me, that means I'm too tall. I need to lose more weight. I'm, I'm not good enough. I mean, it's all so self-centered about why we, we don't do well in interacting. So I, I studied this and I actually spent a year's worth of time researching it and thought, I could help other others that might be like me. I'm not the only one. And, and I did think it was just engineers for a while. And I, the world broadened my world for me, meaning I, I didn't have the brilliance to think, oh, CPAs, attorneys, fourth grade teachers, um, wealth managers, bankers, uh, they, they need these skills too. They're not taught these skills at university level or below. And the world came to me and, and that's how I built this business. And so- you know, I really took something that I didn't know how to do that I wanted to do for myself. And then I created a, a business where I designed programs to offer those tools to
1: others. That's wonderful. And you mentioned there's a difference between being introverted and shy. Can you just say what that is?
0: Well, typically they say introverts, um, are, you know, they, they do not get energy from other people. They get energy from being alone and re-energizing by being alone. They don't mind being alone. They're not lonely being alone. Whereas an extrovert needs people to thrive, to just, um, to be at full steam ahead. And an introvert's not like that. Whereas a shy person, you can be um, not an introvert, but just sort of, you're born with your nature. You're born with your personality of being just this quieter person who's shyer, you're not gonna be the boisterous person. You're not gonna be the life of the party. That does not necessarily mean you're an introvert. I, I am still an introvert. I mean, that's what the testing all says, but I am no longer shy. I, I would walk up to, if I didn't know you, I'd walk up to you at a networking function, at a baby shower, at a, um, if my husband drags me to some horrible event, I put myself out there now. I am not shy any longer, partly, obviously, because I've been rewarded. There, I have positive results from the tools I have designed.
1: Yeah. So So along those lines, when you were deciding that you wanted to research this, where did you begin?
0: Uh, partly by observation, big time observation, but partly I just went to books. I mean, Dale Carnegie's the classic. Hero, right? legend. He was a legend, but from the 1940s and many people listening right now, including you and me both weren't even born then. So it's an older book, right? And it does, you know, it has a lot to say that it's content rich, but I also think that, you know I make a joke now uh, during my program sometimes just use the phone feature on your phone. It, It really helps you connect with people not all the time. I mean a lot of people don't welcome phone calls. It's an intrusion. It depends on what time of day. I tend to text people first to ask if I can call them. But um we've sort of lost that art as you know Dale Carnegie did not talk about, you know, texting and emailing way back then. Mm-hmm. And um and and I I I just think it's evolved. The, the other um the I think a lot of us have gotten rusty during the pandemic, which obviously I I don't know if it's obvious, but I started my business almost 30 years ago. So it had nothing to do with the pandemic, but I think it relates now because we haven't been out and about as much as we are accustomed to, whether that be on a social, romantic or business level. And so these skills are helpful at this time for that reason.
1: Stand by for commercial in three, two, one. Do you want to improve your public speaking? Do you want to add humor and life to your presentations? Come to Colonel Palmer's School for Humor and Public Speaking. We know how to do it, always been doing it. We do it all day, making jokes and memorable speeches the old school way, break it down, y'all. Step on, come on back. get on over now to Colonel Palmer's speaking and humor class where learning is also amusing. And now back to the regularly scheduled program. And I think obviously there are tons of people like you alluded to that would benefit from this kind of work. How far into your research did you get the idea that maybe this should be a book or that you were on to something?
0: Well, I did everything sort of backwards, Ross. Okay. You know, they will tell you that you need a book to have a speaking business where you make a living. But I, when I went into it, I, it was a lucky break. And I, if you want to hear the lucky break, I'll just tell you that I, um, I was in a very bad place in my life financially and I needed money. And I saw an advertisement in a lifelong learning uh um programming catalog which they have all over the country learning annex in new york and la i think where you are they're all they're all over and i i was i am in denver and was in denver at the time and saw this posting for um teacher needed they needed people for italian cuisine they needed people for auto mechanics and they need people for small talk a Hmm. teacher for small talk which i just thought was crazy like what i had just taught myself all this and i thought i was the only one at that point i really believed i was the only one that needed this the only awkward dorky person and when i saw that it just it hit me that maybe there was another person or people if that's what they were looking for so i auditioned which um looking now i what i know is this for me auditioning meant actually putting on something besides jeans putting on makeup things that i historically had never done in my entire life i i was a hippie i still am at heart and um i went in for this audition and i'd never spoken in public either i mean when you're called on in class obviously but that would be it and i put 10, ten minutes together and um on conversation skills and they hired me and now what i know is they would have hired anybody that could be somewhat articulate. I didn't have to be good. I didn't have to be a good presenter. I didn't have to even speak English that well. And uh, that I know now, but I was, that gave me a little bit of confidence. The other thing that happened is that they put the class in their catalog and there were five people that showed up. And then there were 10 people by the end of that year, there were over 50 people would sign up for each of these classes. And the best part about it was every time I got a laugh, I would, um, memorize that. So I would use it the next time, Right. but by the end of the year, I got applause, which was, I wasn't even seeking applause. The other thing that I did that was really one of the smarter things I ever did was I supplied an evaluation. Now this program did, but I just threw that in the garbage. I supplied an evaluation and I wasn't looking for accolades. I was looking for negatives. You know, what could she do better? how, um, what did you come here to learn that you did not learn how did the activity reinforce or not reinforce the skills you learned tonight i was really looking for negatives and during i learned so much from these participants you can't even imagine one thing i learned that has has made such a difference in my my speaking business is i learned that people wanted to learn exit lines now that sounds obvious now but I thought small talk and conversation skills, I didn't realize it was exiting people. I thought it was engaging people. So exit lines is a big portion of my books, my um, programming, et cetera. So that uh, I'll tell anybody, if you ever do anything, whether you write a book, a paper, Um, you work on a project ask for feedback and ask for honest feedback don't look for a pat on the back you know get that from somebody at home or your buddy or your friend get some really honest feedback because that will help you grow and and so that really helped me and by the end of that year and it was with it's called Colorado Free University it's not free but that's what it's called Um, this woman who had been at my class and she was there with her husband. And the reason she did attended the class was because he was retired. She was about to retire and they didn't have anything to talk about. they have been married over 47 years and she wanted to know she was the assistant municipal clerk for the city of anglewood in colorado and they had a convention every year in keystone and she was wondering could i shorten this workshop into maybe like an hour or 45 minutes so take it from three hours to like a keynote speech and i said well sure because shortening things ross is so much easier than lengthening them. very true so i knew that without even hesitation and then she said what's your fee to speak for an hour and i thought oh my gosh, I didn't even know ordinary people spoke for a living or for money. I thought that was Anthony Robbins or celebrities or former presidents of the United States. I didn't. I really didn't know ordinary people got paid a fee for that. So I said, well, what's your budget? And she said, we have $1,000. So this was in 1990. And I was broke. I'm telling you broke. Two little kids on my own. I was like, thousand dollars that that will work and um your budget will work for me think and she said and there's a free hotel you know and we'll pay your mileage I said great and that's was my next epiphany I thought oh people will pay you a thousand dollars an hour to speak that's interesting and so that's when I started knocking on doors and in those days we didn't have the internet so if we did it wasn't what it is today certainly so I had to use the phone feature on my phone and I made cold calls and I built a business speaking in that way. And it was a, a really lucky break what that woman did for me. I know who she is and I thanked her profusely. She didn't know that at the time. so.
1: Well, the timing and of that the sound effect was excellent because you said I made a $1,000 and it went bling. Yeah, so that was just I, very I fortuitous there, but go on. That's
0: so much funny. <laughs> so, your question was, you know, how did, with the book. And so I didn't. I didn't start with a book. I started with being a speaker and I built a very strong speaking business, strong enough that I supported my family, myself, my kids, et cetera. But my dilemma was every time I was done, people would say, well, can I buy your book? (laughs) And And I still needed a lot of money. (laughs) So, you know, you you can't be too stupid to the universe. And I realized, well, I need a book because I can sell it. I knew I could sell it. I had the buyers, but I didn't have the book. And that was a really challenging process because way back then was before Amazon not that I I don't that would have served me well at the time for sure but um it was in 2001 that I finally realized I couldn't get a literary agent uh, I certainly tried very very hard to do that and was rejected by many and so I decided to make the move of self-publishing the book The Fine Art of Small Talk and I um You know, in those days, Philistine Prophecies had been self-published. That was a very famous book that was self-published. And there was one other, I can't remember what was, that made it to a bestseller. Hmm. But you did not self-publish in 2001. Books were not self-published. As a matter of fact, I later learned from someone who raised kids right alongside of me, uh, who was the book editor for the Rocky Mountain News here in Colorado, that the reason she Despite my overtures towards her with phone calls, with written pieces, and she was a lovely, polite person, just would always say no to me. I later learned from her the reason she said no to me is because book editors were not allowed to review self-published books because self-published books were trash. They were, hmm. they were just viewed as they even the quality of the forget the content, but just the quality of how they it, they looked. It was stereotypical, but nonetheless. You couldn't get on the Today Show, let alone in the local Rocky Mountain News, with a self-published book. So nonetheless, you know, that's what I, I – I feel like I'm doing all the talking here, Ross.
1: That's that thats okay? the idea. Nobody wants Uh-oh. to hear from me. My book is titled You Can Be Too Stupid to the Universe. <laughs> that's the <laughs> book I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hey, living have proof, have folks. Domain?
0: Ross, do you have that domain?
1: Which domain? Right. Yeah, I'm going to buy it. That's right. Yeah. That's all my right, next right, uh, my right. next endeavor. Well, okay. Fine, let's 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 dive in. There's one point that I do want to interject here and dive in and pick apart. So I know what this feels like. I know now that I am an extrovert in the sense of the word. And I think it's interesting that you say that you can be shy and extroverted, because I think that's me, really, or at least it has been me since I was younger. I definitely draw strength from interactions with other people, 100,000%. My whole life, I've always craved laughter, applause. That's why I went into improv comedy, theater, all of those things, and DJing and doing all of that stuff. So I know that I need that. But it's interesting to hear you say, so you're introverted, which means that you don't draw strength from those types of interactions, and yet you're getting a laugh in your early speeches, and you're thinking, I've got to write that down, and you're getting applause, which is clearly a good thing, How did you feel about getting that laugh, getting that applause?
0: Well, it was a high for sure. It it felt great. I mean, I don't know if you can imagine what being a fat girl was a dork is like. So to be liked like that is a really great feeling. But for me, I was being analytical. It wasn't that I was like, oh, this is such a rush. I want to be on stage. It was more, oh, you should do that again that's how to craft. I hadn't really crafted a speech. What I did was crafted a workshop yeah. that included this topic, this topic, this topic. And I laid it out that way. Like now we're going to learn about, I hadn't thought to be creative because I'm not a really creative person. How do I do that to entertain? I, I didn't think, I didn't think I was an entertainer. Uh, by the way, it's, it's so interesting to me that you did improv because, um, there, there was a lot of things I should have done. I should have taken improv, probably should have gone to Toastmasters, just didn't have the time. But I would recommend both of those to anybody that wants to be a professional speaker. What I have come to learn is that um, I, you don't have to be extroverted like Ross to be great at improv. What you have to be, at least for me, is to be present. Because one of the reasons my business blew up where. I mean, until the pandemic where I was on the road with four bookings a week is because I inadvertently learned improvs. I could go through an audience, interact with people for a whole hour to an hour and a half and get so many laughs. And we were doing improv and it's a joyous thing to do, but I I don't think you have to be an extrovert to do it. And I think it's a really good practice. It requires intense listening, right, Ross? I'm guessing. Yes, it does. And I always tell people that I mentor the best thing you can do. The the reason PowerPoint, I don't use PowerPoint in my programs. And it turns out that was a wise decision because when you're not worried about a button or something up here and you're just focused, and you said, focus, focus, focus earlier, when you're just focused on exactly what is happening with you, you are so much better at what you're doing. Mm. And so that, that has really, that really helped me. I mean, I'm said. You know, luckily, like tomorrow night, I actually have a live in-person program, but yesterday I had a virtual program and it's, I did do a a little, a bunch of improv. It was, it was a big challenge
1: when it's not live. That's great. Yeah. So from your point of view, instead of an internal feeling or a high that you're trying to chase, it was more calculated, like a successful speech should have laughs, a successful speech should have applause, therefore I need to, versus I need applause i need laughs that's fascinating
0: i I still take a deep breath i'm not nervous ever um i take a deep breath and try to become that person that belongs on stage because that's not really me i mean that's just not Hmm. this this person that stands in front of a thousand people and acts like it's not even me to have my nails done and all this even though it's become it has become me um It drives my husband crazy. I won't leave the house without all of it because he said, I said, well, what if I run into somebody that knows me because it happens. He just, he has no use for it, but that's who I am. But I, I do think that um, it's, it's a different person up there than who the real me is. I really believe that. I'm not like that with my family or my girlfriends or I'm fun. And I, I, I love to, you know, have friends and all that, but I love to be alone and read a book more than anything. So,
1: And you're able to just become that on command. Right, That's fascinating.
0: Yeah. It takes a lot of confidence to get there. I mean, for me, it took a lot of rewards and applause and yeah. getting more referrals to, to feel that. But I feel that
1: today. Do you have cues, sure. like a superhero suit, like something I put this on or I look at this or I inhale that scent and then I switch and now I'm in character? Is there anything like that? I do. Okay. And my biggest
0: cue, and I, I wonder if a man could even understand this. One of the nicest things, my, I'm married now to my second husband for a very long time. And um, he was such a, he's such a fan of, of this. I, the idea had just started to roll. I've been with Colorado for university and he, he didn't, so many other people, including girlfriends said, who's going to want the fine art of small talk? Like, what are you doing? You have two kids. Like, what are you doing? And he was, he's, I mean, he had rose colored glasses. He's like, Oh, you can do anything. You're great. This is a great idea. But he did something for me. I was so broke, literally. And um, I didn't have the clothes and I'd never worn the clothes either, but um, he took me to Neiman Marcus, which I'd never been in a Neiman Marcus. And he bought me a suit off the rack. The woman helped me there and he bought me a suit off the rack that was gorgeous mm. on me. It was gorgeous. The whole thing was just like put together, tailored, Italian, whatever. I wore that suit for every job for like the first. Because you, did, I mean, if you saw me in, my, if you were in my audience today, you're not going to be in my audience tomorrow.
1: Right, <laughs> I mean, no. different
0: every day. I just wear the same outfit all the time. It gave me so much power. You have no idea, and it still gives me power. Like. I have a lot of sisters, four sisters, and um, they cannot get over because we were raised by very frugal parents. I'm a very frugal person. If you looked at my car, if you look at my wedding ring, there's no diamonds or anything. But <laughs> if you looked in my closet, you would go, what? That's, that is out. I mean, it's I have beautiful clothes and it's like my power suit and I wear it on stage. And then I think if you've ever felt uncomfortable in your life about how you looked and I'm very insecure about that, then it just takes that all away so you can focus on what you're doing instead of focusing on is my hair okay is this right is this sure right? I just wear a uniform but i don't think most people need that so i'm which i'm happy to say but you don't need that
1: confidence i, I think i would it. no god no no that's all an act as well it's the same oh. thing yes <laughs> it is not <laughs> it's the same yes for sure that little weird and uncomfortable sound effect that I just made is a little signal that it's time for a brief interlude, a.k.a. commercial, but it's short and sweet. The main idea is if you like this show, if you've benefited from it, if you like these stories, if they've inspired you at all, please subscribe to the podcast and Apple Podcasts, rate it five stars, leave a nice review, subscribe on Spotify, and most importantly, share this episode. Yes, you. Yes, right now. Share this episode with somebody today who needs to hear it. Help me grow this podcast so I can keep delivering incredible stories like this. So now, without further ado, back to the show. Here's Deborah Fine. Yes. Oh, if you knew internally, I had to overcome that a lot. But for me, it was a realization of uh, maybe I can't relate to everything, but I was always an outcast. I was always too nerdy, too weird to fit in. So it wasn't until... I started doing comedy and theater, actually, that people even realized that I could be funny. And I'll never forget... Is
0: that when you realized you could be funny? Or no. Or just when the world No, Did it's you? when yeah. the world
1: realized, yeah. Because I grew up on The Simpsons with my dad. We always watched that. I grew up consuming all of comedy, the Marx Brothers, the Three Stooges. Comedy is in my veins. I love the art form of comedy. So, But I was shy. I think I was extroverted, but shy. And I never really brought that out. But then I was in a play... And the whole school had to go and it was something like a thousand people. And I got some huge laughs in that play. And I'll never forget that somebody said, oh, I didn't know you could be funny or I didn't know that you were funny. People who had known me for years. Right. And I was thinking, well, I knew that, but I never, never had a chance to show it to anybody. So I can relate to that for sure.
0: So You speak to audiences, Ross. I mean, what is it like for you?
1: Uh, well, right now I don't. Now I'm in a cave. Now I'm talking to you. There's an imaginary audience out there. And I think that presents some kind of challenge. I do enjoy the interaction of people. And that's something that I have to figure out. And that's the question that I had for you is I would like to do more of what you do, which is having real people there. Because an imaginary audience doesn't give you that immediate feedback. I make a joke right now. Nobody laughs. Are they laughing at home? I don't know. I'll never know. Unless they type... LOL, in the comments. I'll never know if they thought any of this was funny. So that immediacy of an audience is something that I really miss. And that instant feedback and the playing off of each other. And you kind of know, I'm sure you know this, but when you're kind of reeling them in, you know when you're on a tear or when a, a line is working, you know when it's not working and that feeling is, is horrible. You know when you're trying to make something work and it's just bombing or falling flat. That's the worst feeling in the world to me. But you also know when you get on a run. And interestingly enough, doing this podcast, I love talking to people like you and doing this just for the one-on-one connection. But one of my podcasts, I had three people just a couple of weeks ago from this Italian startup, Being. And that was great because even three other people on a Zoom, I was able to sort of make a few more jokes or see how they're interacting. Or I could make a joke about one of them that the other two would laugh at. And right. then you get that sense of, okay, that was actually funny. Whereas now I have no idea. <laughs> I just talk <laughs> into the universe and I hope for the best. So I would love to take my life in a direction.
0: So what, when you were a DJ, yeah. did, you get a lo- did you get a lot of that energy yes. from? Yes.
1: Yes. So and you- it's all about energy for me. All of it. I've come to realize yeah. that. And music gives you that energy. And certainly when you're playing these records on a giant sound system, it's pure, pure, pure energy. And when the audience is giving that back. So that's, those are some of the highest highs of my entire life doing that. Right. Uh, But yeah, it's, 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 that's, I think why I like comedy specifically versus just being boring all the time, just talking about something very boring It's just that same kind of energy that I feel from DJing is what I feel when I watch Stephen Colbert or Trevor Noah or a great stand-up comic or even The Simpsons. It's that same kind of electricity that is so valuable to me. So I'm trying to figure out how can I bring more of this into my life? How can I become more like what you have become?
0: (laughs) You belong on stage, obviously. I mean, I know that may sound silly during a pandemic, but I do also know that more, as you know, I mean, I have tickets to Jim Gaffigan, you know, in a few weeks. So they're on, they're going back out there. Um, As I said, I have a live um, event. It's not my first one either. I've had a lot of them in Texas. (laughs) And um, uh, so they're, I don't, I can't say they're coming back, but something's, it's, they're opening up. And so it's just a matter of determining what your message is, because you obviously have the skills to do it.
1: Well, I really and you're not afraid.
0: That. I mean, I have to say, you might be afraid that you won't get the laughs, but you're not afraid the way people like me are so afraid of being in the spotlight. I mean, when you're introverted, that's a, it's not a fear any longer, but it, it right. used to be a huge fear. And you well, don't have to deal with that or a fancy suit from Neiman Marcus.
1: Well, it's just the external thing that I have to fear. It's like, oh, they know me, but they hate me. That's my fear. Or, or they, they know who I am. They just still don't like me. <laughs> that's that's my biggest fear.
0: Not that they don't get
1: me, but that they do get me and they don't like what they're getting. Um, but I do want to ask real quick before we make this about me, because I want, I want to ask, so you made this book, The Fine Art of Small Talk. What are some of the techniques? I mean, we have to go into that. What are some of the techniques that people who are shy or introverted broadly speaking, that they can use to get better at small times. Well,
0: and wait, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I cover those extroverts who think they're so charismatic. Like, right. Here's here would be a good example. I'm just going to pick on you, Ross. Please. I mean, we know each other, but we're acquaintances. We're not close friends. Sure. We don't do- hang out, etc. I I hope it's okay to say I do hang out, and I am good friends with your father. Yeah. So I felt sort of safe today saying, doesn't Maruha blah, 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 blah are referring she to said before
1: we started filming that uh, my wife had charisma and I don't.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I did say that. Well, at least on video. <laughs> this is what
1: I mean about that external
0: <laughs> Well no, she I wouldn't want to be on screen with her either. Okay, because she just, you know, some people but are born. like get the gift damn. Like you,
1: yeah. I, I'm not even She's giving great. her credit
0: for it. She just has that light. Yeah. You know, there are people like that. Like yes. I'm not like that, my husband's not like that. Yeah. Uh, whatever. So um Okay, so what I was gonna say is that if if I didn't know your dad but I had talked about you before, I know you're married, um, I, I know because of your dad that you have a child I knew you had a child because we had an original date and the child was was ill and so we had to change our day. Here's my point. This is what extroverts do that just drive. I mean, I have a list of conversation killers but here's an extrovert. They run into somebody on the ski slopes, right? They've only met him once at some industry conference or something like that. And they say to him, so how's it going at Wells Fargo? Cause that's what they met him at a, you know finance FinTech conference. And they remember the name. Hey, Joe, because they remember the person's name. I mean, how charismatic can you get? They give them the gift of their own name. Ah, Deborah Fine. Good to see you again, Joe. How's it going at Wells Fargo? Well, guess what happened to uh, Joe? Joe's been canned from Wells Fargo. He hey. lost his job. Sexual harassment, Ross. And hey. you know what? Because I'm such an extrovert and I'm so charismatic that I remember people's names. I, I, I remember where they work and I'm just out there. Except here's the problem. I say, don't ask questions you don't know the answer to. Don't I mean I'm not going to ask about Maruha unless I'm sure that you guys are still married. And you nor should you do that with my husband because you don't know me well enough. Ah. So or to ask somebody did did your kid, did, did she get into University of Texas? Did she get in? What no. why would you ask a question like that? So here's how you should launch a conversation okay. with an acquaintance. For two reasons. One reason is you don't want to put your foot in your mouth or cause someone else discomfort. Number two, in order to launch a better conversation with an acquaintance If I'd had time to chat with you today, Ross, I would have said to you, bring me up to date. What's new with your projects, you know, since since I got a last update from your dad or catch me up on your family. That's what I probably would have said, because then I would have known you have one kid instead of two. Bring me up to date on your family. So I do the same thing with people when it comes to work. If I know you work outside of the home and what I mean by that is that you're not a stay at home parent. I'll say to you, bring me up to date. What's new with work since the last time I saw you? I don't say how's work because you know what you're going to say. Good. Good. If I say bring me up to date about work, I've covered myself in case you got canned or your business went down the toilet during the pandemic or who, whatever happened. If I, if I want to know if you got into UT or not, I'll probably say, bring me up to date. What's new with your college search? But I better know that you're on a college search because if I don't know that and you're at my Thanksgiving table and you're a high school senior or junior, instead I'll say to you, so catch me up. What are your plans after high school? Catch me up, bring me up to date. If instead of saying, how are you, I'll say to people, bring me up to date. What's new in your life since the last time I saw you because that doesn't pigeonhole them into offering you an answer that they may not be comfortable with. Mm-hmm. So I just, I, the only reason I got so excited there is because people assume that the only people that need help and conversation skills or networking skills is introverts and shy people extroverts there. They can be like, there's so many conversation killers. This is what an extrovert does. Let's, let's, let's role play here, Ross. Sure. So I'll say, so tell me about the, um, your biggest challenge during the pandemic.
1: No, just kidding. No, <laughs> the biggest challenge was having a toddler at home alone with no daycare and no babysitters.
0: So this is me cause I'm charismatic and I'm extroverted. And I'm going to do what um, a lot of people do, especially during the pandemic. I'm going to top you. Really, you think that's rough, Ross? Because you know, I was a, a single, divorced mom. I had two little kids. I had no money. I lost my house. I mean, if you can get through that, you can get through anything. Hey, why don't you shut up, Deborah Fine? Just let's be quiet here. Because yeah. first of all, I know my story. I know my whole story. You know whose story? I don't know yours. I'm supposed to be showing interest in you. So when you tell me you had a toddler at home, da 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 da. So. I need to, what I call a digging in deeper question. So, how did you balance that? How did you manage it? How did you get work done? I mean, toddlers, you can't just say, you know, it's quiet time, honey, and expect them to actually listen to you. So, but I topped you because people like to top each other with their tough stories. But, oh, you've seen your business is tough. You should see what's happened to my business. Oh, here's the other side of it. Oh, you went on a vacation? Where'd you go? Oh, I went to um, Spain. went to Spain. And it was great. Oh, oh, good. Because, you know, I went on a vacation. We went to Africa. We went on safari. We, You know, Deb, nobody asks you about your safari or Africa. Why don't you find out why they went to Spain? Oh, there's family there? Oh, I didn't know that. Or is it Portugal, Ross? I'm sorry. Is it Portugal or Spain?
1: What? Which? <laughs> your,
0: your family. Roma. Spain.
1: Her family's in Spain. Spain. Yeah. Right, yes, right, Spain. right.
0: I was trying to do that really like, by the way. I'm going to Spain in two weeks. Right. Your father and Anne were supposed to go.
1: Right. They
0: changed their minds. Okay, that's a whole different problem. <laughs> um, so here's the point: is is that's another conversation, killer. It's when we top each other, yeah. when you say I have a toddler, and I say, Oh, I used to have a you know, I have kids when they were toddlers, and I bridge into that. Well, how about we talk about Ross for five minutes before you share your commonality? So that's just another tip that I, I think shy people, I think introverts, and I think extroverts, we all do it without realizing we jump in and share our experience before we show an interest in the other person's experience. And yet we know our experience. Yeah. So don't we want to learn about other people? So true. And it is like that. You say, a... you know, I want to write a book. And I go, Oh, I wrote a book. Uh, Who cares? You know, Deb, you know, you wrote a book. How about we find out what kind of book he wants to write?
1: That conversation Sorry, no. is exactly like the ones, every conversation between me and my college roommate was exactly like what you just described. Really? Oh, yeah. Like, not, I just got mauled by not. a bear on my way to work. It's always. Oh. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just got attacked by a bear. But uh, something. Are worse. you still friends? Yeah, no, we're still friends. It's just. Oh, it's, just good. it's kind of quirky. Well, hope he doesn't, way. or
0: she doesn't listen no, to this. No, one.
1: no, no. It's, it's, no, he will, and I'm going to point it out to him and dig in. Uh, but Dale Carnegie said something along the lines of, you can make more friends by being interested in other people in a minute than you can by talking about yourself for years, something to that. And I
0: think most people know that, except they fall into this, what I call the match game. I'm going to match you. I I used to have a toddler or my daughter. Oh, you think that's bad. My daughter, she has toddlers and they bought a restaurant three months before the pandemic. Well, I did talk to you, didn't I? I talked to you. That's rough that they did that. True. But you know what? I know all about that. And maybe I'll share that with you five minutes from now, but let's learn about you and what, how you've managed and what's going on now for you. Like, have things gotten any better? And stuff like that. That's all I'm saying to you. Show an interest, but you got to be genuine. You're not genuine when you're trying to match somebody down the line.
1: That's so good. So you're giving this talk, and it's starting to grow. You're starting with 10 people. It grows to 30, grows to 50. You're getting applause. You're building a business. Was right. it because people were telling other people and – each subsequent version was getting, how did it start growing? Was it organic or just really cold calling and pounding the pavement the whole time?
0: It, it, ha- it has become organic, but it was pounding the pavement and cold calling for at least 10 years.
1: Ten Maybe years. more. I haven't
0: really exactly written that down. I, I will tell you that for the past um, at least 10 years, I haven't cold called. I mean, I follow up if somebody said they were interested in that, I don't hear from them. But I don't I don't I don't have outreach. So that's 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 a tough thing about the pandemic for someone is in my business is that my business came from the audiences for the last 10, 15 years. My business came from the audiences that were in front of me. Somebody was a program chair for another company. They were in another association. They were company and it just became organic. And it was I had plenty of work. But I'm not in front of a lot of audiences right now. I'm in front of some, but it's not robust. And so what's happened is that it's so just it's like compounded. It, mm-hmm. There's a pandemic plus less people are seeing me so less people are reaching out to me. And so I've had to make a strategic decision do I do the cold calling and the outreach again or not?
1: And, and when you cold called people, what who were you calling and what were you saying?
0: So a, a great example is, uh, it's now Lockheed Martin. It was Martin Marietta in 1991 when I first reached out. And uh, I found out uh, somehow I learned that there was what they call an evening institute at Martin Marietta. And they offered all kinds of classes, yoga, negotiation skills, et cetera. So I went through HR, found out who headed up the institute, and I called her. And, Ross, I called that woman Three or four times, and I got to know. And my pitch was, I used to be an engineer. I offer a program on. I think I said conversation skills instead of small talk because people think small talk's so stupid. And engineers really benefit from it. And um, I'm, I, I'd like to meet with you or whatever I said. Send you a. In those days, we'd send a brochure. And she just said no, no, no. Then one day I called in and I asked for you know, I just kept calling every few months, I think, and some, she was gone, and I'll never forget this woman's name, her name was Chris Cook, she said, I took over, and I said, well, I'm calling because, you know, I'm an engineer, da, 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 da. and she goes, oh, I think that's a really good idea, and I said, well, why don't you come to one of my Colorado Free University classes, so I used wow. Colorado Free University as a way to, instead of uh, give, if I could get away with not giving a brochure or a meeting, I wanted them to see the, the material. I wanted them to see this because that's so much better than a piece of paper. Mm. So Chris cook came to one of my programs and uh, she loved it. And she hired me for the evening Institute. And then I would do the evening Institute. I don't know, three or four times a year, but then, then um, because of that, Vandenberg Cape Cape Canaveral, Bethesda, Austin, not their evening institute. Their leadership. They, the um, they, I think is, uh, Marsh is his last name. I think David was his first. Tom Marsh was the CEO of Martin Marietta, then Lockheed Martin. When I was still doing the evening institute, but by then leaders were hiring me for their teams to learn small talk, and he heard about the program. He he decided that every director level and above at Lockheed Martin had to learn the fine art of small talk. Whoa. So it took me all across the country.
1: Whoa. I mean, it was
0: just such a, such a break. So,
1: so and yeah, at this that's, point, but
0: it's... it was cold calling. It was, it was, you gotta take a lot of rejection, I think, to be in this kind of business.
1: And now it's time for a segment we call, Ask the Public. We're here on the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro, talking to random strangers. Subject of today is small talk, are you an introvert or an extrovert?
0: Mm, no.
1: Extrovert. Do you enjoy small talk? Mm, nope. Do you like giving speeches in front of large audiences? N-
0: Again, no. No.
1: Riveting conversation. No. Back really. to the episode. <laughs> See, that's interesting that that was okay for you. It's just funny where people draw the line. That scares me. Cold calling scares me. Calling somebody with the express intention of, I'm trying to get money from you. That's, I don't really do it, to be honest, because I'm afraid of it.
0: I don't blame you for being afraid. And I I really understand it. And I, I mentor a lot of people to be either speakers and or authors or sometimes both. And I always tell them there's just one ingredient here that really helped me that's, that you're not going to have. And I'll tell you what that ingredient was, Ross. I, I, as I said, I was not only divorced with two toddlers, but my, their father was gone. So we didn't have any money. So when you're in that situation, and I didn't have family, I didn't grow up in Denver, or Colorado, or anything from back East. And when you're in that situation, you don't care if anybody says no to you you don't mind picking up the phone. you got nothing to lose. You've got nothing to lose. And I do feel bad because I have never met anybody that I mentored that found themselves in in those dire straits where Mm -hmm. they were that hungry. And so with that ingredient was a really helpful tool for me. Um, And Steve, who's now my husband, who ultimately would witness this in many ways. And when you talk about the self-published book, having agents say no to me having me be in tears because this agent actually talked to me and then she she did reject me in a very mean and unpolite way and me just being just sobbing and but all but I just I don't know I I just kept doing it and it all worked you know I did self-publish as as I said but I did ultimately get discovered and there was a bidding war for my book the fine art of small talk uh, by the big shots in New York. And I took the highest bid. And, uh, and it changed my whole life financially. But it, um, so, so it, I agree with you. I think, like, if I had to cold call the time now, I don't think I would do it. Um, as a matter of fact, with the pandemic, it has occurred to me I'm in a mastermind group. We talk about, you know, you have to reintroduce yourself because we haven't had the audiences yeah. to depend on. And I don't know if I have it in me and I have, I know it's there and I can find it. I don't need it. So if I were your, you though, at your age, I would find a way to convince myself a a really important thing, which is that every time somebody says no to you, you're one step closer to a yes. Mm -hmm. That's number one. I mean, I would say that to myself when I was doing it, I, Tom Hopkins wrote a book, I don't know, 30 years ago and I read it and it said, figure out your ratio. So let's say one out of 20 people say yes to you. And every time somebody says, no, you're one step closer to a yes. Right. Um, And then the other thing that I would do if I was your age or, you know, really wanting to do this is I believe this, I could be wrong. You probably know a lot more about this than I do, but I would use LinkedIn to um, get work and I should probably do that today. I just, once again, I should do a lot of things, and sometimes sure. I think, "Oh, I think I'll go for a bike ride today." Right. But, like I said, I had two bookings this week—one yesterday and one. So it's really easy to get lazy. But I would use LinkedIn, and then you're not putting your whole soul out there. You know, you're just reaching out um, to potential clients.
1: Well, you know who's not a fan of the word "should"? Our friend Anthony Robbins <laughs> referenced earlier. Oh, I know. <laughs> then you just should all over yourself, he says. <laughs> So, what does
0: that mean? Tell me what that uh, means. It means what that that's not. Do? It's
1: it's generally an only negative uh, emotional uh-huh. thing to say. There's no positive outcome from a word like "should" because so what
0: that. Is, what's a better word? I want to learn. Uh, well,
1: plan or strategize. You have to think of something actionable that you can do instead of because "should" is inherently a judgment. It's sort of a negative judgment mm-hmm. about a belief that what you've done or are doing is somehow different than what needed to be done. So it's a slight dig at yourself when you say, I should be doing this, because that's just critiquing yourself, essentially. So instead, you can talk more proactively about going forward. So are you conscious of
0: that? Are you conscious of that with your language?
1: No, God, no. (laughs) I say all kinds of stupid things all the time. I just have read and listened to a lot of stuff that he's said over the years.
0: Do Do you admire him?
1: I think he's the best in the world at what he does. Now... 50-50, 50-50, is he the greatest con man who ever lived or the greatest genius who ever lived? And I think, I think he'll take that with him to the grave, honestly. 50-50. I couldn't even give it 50.001%. I mean a true 50-50. But either way, he is the best in the world at what he does.
0: You know, you really said that well. I'm going to memorize that. And that's a good answer to that question. It's the perfect answer.
1: Thank you. I really do believe it. I have great admiration for him. And who can talk to a room full of anybody for 11 hours a day, four days in a row? It's Herculean in scope, so I can't even imagine what would I say. I have no clue, but I have great respect for what he has done. And speaking of which, I know we're running low on time. You had a follow-up book, The Fine Art of the Big Talk. So what was the thought there?
0: Well, the truth of the matter is, Ross, is that when I, when I, when the bidding war, one of the reasons I went with uh, Hyperion now has was because they offered me a lot of money, but they wanted a two-book deal. So they take the fine out a small talk. But they wanted a second book.
1: Makes sense. I don't know
0: that I would have had a second book, but I had to have a second book. And for whatever it's worth, when you do work with traditional publishing they get to dictate a lot of things. Like, um, uh, for instance, let me just, I don't know if you can see on the screen. So this is the fine art of the big talk. Can you see ah, that? Yes, I
1: can. That oh, looks great. So what, do you,
0: what do you see? What do you see?
1: Oh, uh, I see apparently two men in suits talking to each
0: exactly. other. Exactly. Okay, so let's start at the top. You see, uh, I begged, pleaded to have a woman somewhere here. What? I did not get her. No, I did not get my way. Are you kidding me? I, no, it's obvious I didn't get my way. Yeah, but... Okay. Okay. There's not a Why? woman. Of, okay. There's nobody that's a different gender than male. Let's just put it that way. Yes. That's number yeah, two one, men number in two.
1: suits, very one mad of the man-esque.
0: men is a man of color. That yes. I begged for also, and I did get my way. So the point is, sometimes you get your way, sometimes you don't. Okay. Brilliant. Here's the cover of Small Talk. That they this isn't the a self published. This is Hachette's. So okay. there is a woman there. I did get my way. I got a woman. Right. And whatever. So uh, I so. Um, so I didn't even get to pick the title. <laughs> That's... I wanted to do, I, I think it was the fine art of small talk for whatever. Oh, they first, they wanted me to do the fine art of small talk for salespeople. And I knew better than salespeople know how to sell. They don't need me to tell them how to do small talks. Like I'm the last person they want to listen to. Right. Um, anyway, so they picked this and then, um, and then I wrote the book and it has, it has been a best, it was a bestseller. It's now like, I don't know if it's out of print or not. It wasn't quite the success, but let me tell you why not. (laughs) I didn't have the passion for it. I had the passion for small talk. Mm -hmm. And then I I did self-publish a third, another book later in life, meaning like five years ago, beyond texting
1: for teenagers.
0: And I did that out of my heart. I did it because if I, if I'd had that book when I was a teenager, I, maybe I would have had a friend, maybe I would have been invited to a birthday party. So Mm -hmm. that, so that doesn't help my business, but it helps my heart. So it's there.
1: And the best things come from, it seems, a personal need or a personal pain point.
0: Right. But yeah. also, obviously, I was in a privileged position where I did not need to earn money right. off of speaking engagements to teenagers because there's not a lot out there. Right. But schools do not TikTok. have a for that. Right.
1: You got to get on TikTok. <laughs> Yeah, yeah only, I could, but... only partially serious, but you could. Are you on TikTok? I am, and I'm failing miserably at it. I post a <laughs> lot, but I gain a small amount of followers. But everything is so skewed on that platform. If you have a couple thousand followers, that's nothing. You need to have half a million before it even... Yeah, everything's super inflated. So if a post doesn't get hundreds of thousands of views, then it's considered a total failure. So it's uh, it's, its own ecosystem. It's its own world. But I'm on there. I'm fighting I'm sorry, the good fight. Man.
0: Sorry, I'm missing out on it.
1: Yeah, don't, don't be. It's, it's better not to be. But I, I, I want to have like one last question, a little different than, than normal as we're approaching the end of the hour. But when you're cold calling, now you had a program that you could send them to in some cases. You said, just come look at me. This is the part, if you don't have a program, if you don't have something for them to come check you out at or if you've never done it before – do you think that you need to do something for free to create that program that they can come back to? Because I think the part that I would struggle with is calling somebody and saying, hey, person I've never met. Let me convince you that you should give me a lot of money to talk to you about something. Uh, I, it's just how do you bridge that gap?
0: Well, first, the language. I'm no Tony Robbins, but the language I would use is, not, you know, I'm either an authority. I'm the expert on da 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 And I'd like to be considered for your upcoming conferences, upcoming association events, uh, learning and development programs, whatever it may be. Okay. So and I will also say the other thing I did besides inviting them to the program is I did do freebies for Rotary clubs everywhere or and similar types of things. And I did get a lot of business off of that. As a matter of fact, I got so much business off one Rotary club that I joined their club. (coughs) And I've been there for 28 years. So, um, so I think you have to do it. I, I think you, I won't say should. I believe that it's worthwhile um, I like doing, it. free, doing freebies for two reasons. One, to get in front of an audience. That's who's going to hire you. Two, you've got nothing to lose. Two, you'll get better and better. And you sound like you're probably pretty capable because you have theater training as well as improv training. So my guess is you're a 100 leagues in front of someone like me or people that are listening. I doubt that. If you have those kinds of skills or education resources behind you, sure you do but when you do it in front of a live audience and and you don't sell from the podium, but once again, why don't we supply our rotary club with an evaluation and the last sentence on the evaluation, which I put on my evaluation too, by the way, was, is there anybody you, you know, an individual organization that you would recommend would benefit from this program. Mm. And that's how I got leads. So, um, you know, there's a way to do that. And lastly, because of video now, I also think you could put five minutes on video. I don't know how you get them to watch it. Yeah. That's the problem. So I would offer. A, I used to offer free um, lunch bag. What do you call them? Lunch brown bag lunches yeah. in in commercial buildings, so that the lawyers was me, the dentists was me, the whatever, and I, I get work. But I do it for free. I did it at health clubs. I, you know, I wasn't too proud, and and guess what? It all paid off. So
1: that's very fascinating. Um, and the Rotary Club format, that's just, what, a 10-minute speech? How long? It's 25 minutes. 25. I mean, I can
0: build, I'm can i an authority on Rotary Clubs because I've been in Rotary now. And um, so 25 minutes typically and um, time for questions and answers. And it's a great way to get exposure. And the key is, and I'm sure Rotary won't like me saying this, is to pick and choose your Rotary Club. So you don't want to do it for a Rotary Club of 20. My club has over 100 members. That's, that's, you know, your ratio is higher. Your message gets out there. Um, So that's a good, but there's other, um, you know, venues like that. Like you're such an ex. I, I mean, I wish I could find you tell me what your expertise is because if I were you, I would be at industry events where the audience is there. They don't know you're not getting paid. So they look at you as a thought leader or an expert in your field. But they see you as a professional speaker. And the way somebody sees you as a professional speaker, besides being good, is in the introduction that you supply to your client, your meeting planner. So she has an introduction that says, "Deborah's clients include blah, 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 blah. She's a keynote speaker for da, 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 da. She's a trainer for, I mean, it tells you who she is. Mm -hmm. You don't have to think, oh, that was funny. That was, oh, but now I planted the seed. You can hire me to be your keynote speaker and your trainer introductions are the right. key to so much for us, right. in my opinion, and people yeah. blow right. it. They'll, they'll st- say, say to a client, um, the client will say, well, I'll just go to your website. And they'll go, Oh, fine. Go to your website. You tell them exactly what you want them to say mm-hmm. about you. So, um, so that's, I, I tell you. Um, and if I can ever be of service to you, I'm glad to be here for you, but I would work. I, really I mean, I have one of my sisters, Who's uh, intellectual property attorney? She's now retired. She—that's how she got businesses. She'd speak at industry events for free. But um, if I was wanting to be a professional speaker, that's what I would do now too.
1: Well, that is some very sage advice. we are reaching, reach—we've reached the end okay. of our time. So thank you very much for sharing that with me. And we didn't cover it, but you also helped my dad out a lot. I'll tell the audience oh. that by giving him a roadmap, I didn't help him a lot. Uh, I gave him, a, no, yeah, for no. becoming a. Professional public was, speaker and author in his own right, which is fantastic. He's so
0: successful. He's a rock star. He,
1: he surely is. Yes, and I know he would. He, I know he would uh, credit you with that. So,
0: well, um, and talk about a pivot, right?
1: Yeah, true.
0: Before it was cool. True.
1: But again, thank you very much. I want to be respectful of your time. I really appreciate you well, sitting welcome. down. I'm glad we were able to make this work finally after a no, few hiccups. It's
0: good to get to know you a little better, Ross.
1: Likewise. And uh, the books, of <laughs> course, for the audience listening, Fine Art of Small Talk, the one that she believes in, Fine Art of the Big Talk, 50-50, and <laughs> Beyond Texting. <laughs> oh, wait, never mind. All three good books, all worth purchasing. Um, any parting uh, words of wisdom or any other thing that you want people to find you? Like you said, uh, the floor is yours to promote yourself as we.
0: Well, I don't. I want to say to the audience something that I really believe with all my heart and now more than ever because I think people long to be connected considering what we're, we've been through and what we're going through. And that is every conversation is an opportunity for success. So whether it's with your spouse, whether it's with your friend, like. So many of us have been distanced from our friends because we haven't gone out for happy hours. We haven't done this. And then all of us who are parents, you know, of grown up adults, you know, we can all benefit from skills and communication to every conversation is an opportunity, but it's up to us to put our foot forward first, I think. So whether you're an introvert or shy, don't wait for somebody else to do it. Life is short.
1: Well, I can think of no better way to end it. So with that, the official podcast is over. Well, that was such a fantastic episode, don't you think? I really feel that we could have kept talking for a much longer time. She has done such incredible things, and I'm just blown away by the idea that she turned something that was such a weakness into her number one strength. Not many people make such a 180 in their own lives, but it's proof that that we can often do good things by scratching our own itch or solving our own problems. It seems like every time that she did that, her career flourished, and I also like that she was real and raw and that she shared those moments when things were anything but certain, which is a very important part of all of our journeys on our path towards success and fulfillment. I really enjoyed this episode. If you did too, please make sure to share it with somebody that you know would benefit from it. Maybe somebody who wants to be a speaker or an author, or share it with somebody who is themselves introverted or shy and would benefit from buying her book, The Fine Art of Small Talk. Help her out, help her mission, or support her by going to a keynote, any of those things that you can do, I think it would be something that we would both really appreciate. So thank you for listening to the show. I appreciate you as always more than you know, and I will see you next week on the BP the Off and Path podcast.